Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist and a sports nutritionist, and I'm a competitive bodybuilder. Hello, Robert Fortress Fortney here, former editor at Muscle Mag International, former competitive bodybuilder, and soon to be again uh, competitive powerlifter, strength enthusiast. How's that? Right on. Yeah. That's this fall, right? Uh, October 22nd, yeah. There's the date. Yeah. So you did put your name on the dotted line. The checks are gone, man. I, I, yeah, it's it's done. It's a done deal. Fantastic. Yeah. Carry the torch for us. Mm. And with us today, we're going to swing the pendulum back towards science a little bit with Dr. Josh Cotter. Um, I met Josh when he was still a, a doctoral student in Ohio State, now living in Irvine, California. Um, so, Josh, maybe just tell listeners a little bit about yourself, like your current situation or even your history. You know, what is it that got you into working in this lab or, you know, your interest in bodybuilding, you have an obvious interest in that and, and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I started out a long time ago uh, being interested in, in weight training. I'm not a competitive bodybuilder or anything of that sort, although I am looking to do my first contest in a year or so here at the Orange County Classic. Uh, due to Oh, dude, wait, I don't want to cut you off, but isn't that a really hard one? <laughs> Um, it, it is a good one, but I've asked around and, and I heard that, you know, it, it, it'll be hard, but it won't be a bad one to start out with. So, oh, good. you know, I, I don't mind, uh, if I place well, then that gives me a lot to be proud for. And if I don't, that gives me a lot to, to improve upon. So either way, I think it'd turn out pretty good. Wow. Nice. Very nice. I mean, seeing you suffer during the, uh, experimental biology conference, uh, that really motivated me. <laughs> <laughs> that sucked. You look Plus, like I had a bunch of, <laughs> I had all those former students there and, you know, they'd never seen me do that. And they're probably thinking, Dr. Lowry won't eat anything. Some of the dietetic students, by the way, referring to me and you, by the way, Josh, they said something like, you know, I didn't think we'd be here with all these like muscle guys who, you know, who <laughs> eat, eat so strictly and they're dieting and they won't eat. And, and I, you know, cause to dietetic students, of course, they're not necessarily into it for the same reasons that we have interest in nutrition, you know? Yep. And uh, anyway, interesting, but yeah. So I'm glad that I'm glad that was at least a little bit extra motivation for you because that's very cool that you're competing already. Is there a date for that? Uh, yeah, it's next April, so you know it's a little less than a year away, but that'll give me plenty of time to, you know, really focus on the weight gain that I need to do now, and then give me plenty of time to diet down correctly for uh, the contest. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. All right. So sorry to uh, uh, interrupt there. So no, no worries. So go ahead. So you're out there. Um, Doing what now exactly? Well, uh, I'm at uh, University of California in Irvine, and I'm, I'm doing my uh, postdoc right now, which is, you know, typically something that um, doctoral graduates do for a couple years to bump up their research before they move on to a, a full professor position. Uh, I did all of my education at Ohio State. Uh, I actually started out with my bachelor's in business. Um, even though I liked weight training and all that, I, I really had my heart set on being an entrepreneur and making a lot of money, I think the money had a, a big factor in me trying to go into business. But I uh, had an internship, and I really actually uh, disliked it. And I was like, I can't do this for the rest of my life. And entered mm -hmm. the uh, exercise science program at Ohio State. And, you know, I haven't turned back since. I, I like the research. I, I like doing it. But I also like being able to understanding understanding it and trying to apply it to not only my life, but those people around me that are interested in improving their lives with their health and fitness goals. 
Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Now, how long have you been lifting again? Now, uh, I was when you asked me to uh, maybe describe how I got into this, I was trying to think back. You know, when was the first time I got interested in weight training? And, and I was thinking back to uh, when I was about in, I think it was middle school, maybe even a little bit before middle school. I remember uh, flipping through the channels in ESPN. Do you guys remember a show called Body Shaping? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Deanna Tom, Corey Everson. Uh, oh, they, they, they still have old episodes on YouTube. Oh, do they really? <laughs> well, a couple of them. Uh, yeah, I've seen them. They're pretty funny. You know, and, uh, you know, that kind of got me into it. And, and I think I remember then shortly um, after that, a couple of years, going to my first Arnold uh, down in Columbus, Ohio. And, and I went every year from 1996 all the way through uh, this last year was my first year missing it, actually, since I'm out in California. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, uh, I love the culture and I love the people in it. And, and you know, it's uh, uh, just a, an awesome environment. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. Um- I was remiss a little bit in uh, – I know Rob and I were talking about some industry news and science news and whatnot. And since we have a science guest for the most part – and again, Josh is a nice hybrid because make no mistake, Josh has a lot of muscle mass. I think he's going to do well in a bodybuilding competition. Um, but at the same time, we'll get more into some of what he's doing now uh, in a moment. But first, Rob, let's let's just take a, a half a step back and talk about some news a little. You said you had something? Well, nothing much. I'm just, uh, it's the Toronto Pro Show this coming weekend, so, um, of course, it's right in my neck of the woods because I'm here in Toronto, so I'll, I'll be attending that. So I'll probably be around, like, the Muscle Insider booth kind of area, hanging around Dorian Yates. Okay, cool. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. That, that's okay. pretty much all I had to say. Right? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so if anybody sees the big, uh, pale, bald guy walking around, you know, hanging around, that it, it might be. Well, there's probably going to be a ton of those kind of guys, but, yeah, it might be me. Well, that'll be cool. It's been a while since you spoke to Dorian, hasn't it? Yeah, he's being flown in from uh, for Muscle Muscle Insider magazine, so he's going to be at their booth, and we're, they're going to have to, uh, Muscle Insiders hosting a party and stuff. Uh, so I'll be at that. and Yeah, it should be a good time, man. We'll see see how it is. How's his uh, supplement company going? His nutrition company is that still? I'm pretty sure he's still doing it in some uh, um, some configuration. It, it wasn't how it was originally when you and I were speaking with him in New York when he was first getting it going. But because uh, I think he branched off and he's doing it all by himself, I think now. But I'm not entirely sure. But yeah, he's he's still doing those types of things, and he, he keeps himself. You know, he's pushing the Temple Gym brand now, and. Uh, he he's always got you know videos floating around the net, YouTube, uh, muscular development, these kind of things with him training different pros and up and comers over over at his gym and stuff. So oh, so new stuff you floating around? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he I mean he still looks really good and stuff. He he actually just got remarried actually just uh, I think a few months ago. Oh, because okay. yeah, when you and I knew him, he was married to Debbie, and then he divorced right. her after he shortly I believe after he retired from competitive bodybuilding, and then. Apparently she's uh, she's very attractive. I saw some video of her. She, I think she's Brazilian. She's like a fitness chick from Brazil or something. So hmm. uh, it'd be interesting. He'll probably bring her, and if he does, it'd be interesting. And uh, yeah, I was sort of bummed. And again, it's not like uh, for the listeners who are tuning in, it's not like Rob and I were our best buds with Dorian or anything. But yeah, I remember his wife. She was a little, just a little thing. She was a, a sweetheart. But yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, it was sort of a bummer to me when they split. I'm like, wow, what's What's going on there? Because they seem to have a good thing going. I don't know. Yeah, well, they have that one uh, son, Lewis, I believe his name is, and he's geez, he's like probably eighteen or nineteen years old now. Wow. So yeah, I saw I saw a video of actually him training in Temple Gym a month or two ago. His son, and looks like he's got some good genetics too. So oh, hey, speaking of which, uh, we just talked about Dorian and YouTube. I put a, a video up of Dorian on the Iron Radio. Uh, YouTube page. It's sort of a fan page for for Dr. Lowry and Iron Radio. I'm not sure if it's going to become our official Iron Radio YouTube page or not, but it was too motivating. I had to put it up. It it was that video that you sent, Rob, I believe, of him in like 96 or 97 at the German Pro Show or something. That's what I sent you, yeah. Oh, uh, my God. (laughs) still, still, Still hasn't been beaten. Uh, you know, usually I like to put up videos like old Zane videos and classic videos and stuff, but I agree with you 100%. I don't think there is anybody on stage that I've seen in recent years that can touch that, even come close to touching that video. So if anybody's interested, check out the, uh, it's, uh, I believe it's under Lawn Man 7, which is one of the only words I could 
squeeze in for an ID on YouTube, but uh, Lawn Man 7 or the Iron Radio YouTube page, there's a video there. Again, it's Dorian Yates from the, I think, the German Pro Show in 96. Yeah, something like that. Just mind-blowing. Just really, really mind-blowing. The hardness and the separation and the size, oh, it's just incredible. Yeah. You know, And while I'm rolling with that, too, I also put up uh, one or two Amon Amarth videos because oh. Rob, Rob yeah. and I have been talking about that lately. Wow, you guys, anybody who's not into that, go check out some Viking rock for your pre-contest prep or your you know pre-gym listening. Even if you don't like metal, the stories of heroic battles in Valhalla are enough to get any man's testosterone flowing. I'm yeah, no, you. it's um, they're they're a kind of a sub sub genre style of death metal called actually Viking death metal. So. Uh, I am really and, liking that. Yeah, and they're so. they're Swedish, and uh, yeah, they uh, they got their shit together. I I told you in uh, email, Lonnie, that I actually have uh, the uh, limited edition bobbleheads from their last album. That's funny. Yeah, and that Surtur Rising, I'm gonna have to go get that too. I might just sort of flake out, and Rob, you're gonna probably shake a shame on your finger at me, but I think I'm gonna go get. I saw a Greatest Hits that they have out, and it's got you know. Uh, the tune about Thor, and it's got a, you know, what is it, Battle of the Gods? Is that the name of the one tune? Uh, anyway, good stuff. And I, I might sort of just flake out and get the greatest hits because it was just juicy. Just right. juicy. <laughs> Recommended. Iron Radio approved. <laughs> so, nice. um, I wanted to share a bit of science news because we, of course, we're a bizarre mix, I think, probably of, uh, of science and uh, idiocy. <laughs> well, I was going to say aggression, Viking-like aggression, but we're talking about this. we're talking about death metal and <laughs> right. Rory Gates' Brazilian fitness girlfriend, and yeah, we're all over the. Well, we're going to get to Arnold's fat son in a second. Uh, yeah, well, all right, well, after, let's let's do the science here, and then we'll get to Arnold again. We'll go back and forth with the news. Um, there's a, a new um, sort of announcement here. It's just June 13th, 2011. This is from Science News, and I love this. It's the magazine for the Society of Science and the Public, and I think this is so important because I'm a huge Carl Sagan fan, and one of the things that he always used to um, pontificate about was how we have a society that's built on science and technology, and yet we know almost nothing about it. The most people are very scientifically illiterate, and it's it's just an explosive mix of ignorance and, you know, and... Uh, uh, you know, uh, power. So in any case, from science news, it's um, human mutation rate is slower than thought. So let me just read a couple of blurbs from this. It says, bad news for fans, fans of the X-Men. It may take longer to create a new class of mutant superhumans than previously estimated. The first direct measures of human mutation rates reveal that the speed at which successive generations accumulate single-letter genetic changes is much slower than previously thought. And just so people know, SNPs or single nucleotide polymorphisms, that's kind of what makes us all different, right? I mean, if you think about it, and again, this is a, a quote from Sagan, but he said, there are many, there are many, many more combinations of genes in our genetic ability, in our genetic map. Uh, in other words, there are many, many more kinds of people that have ever existed in total. So imagine what's still possible. And that's kind of cool stuff, and that's what this is about. But this is what I thought was very interesting. It was a study published in the online June 12th issue, uh, Nature Genetics, and it shows that some individuals and um, even races or, or, or people from geographic places mutate faster than others, and they have different proportions that come from the mother or the father. So not only does, it, does this particular paper talk about how the mutation rate is slower than we once thought um, – I think one of the things that jumped out to me was it said, uh, let's see, they they looked at different families and the amount of these you know genetic variances or mutations that they sent to their children. One of the two families the researchers examined, a mother, father, and child of European descent, followed the expected pattern. And again, this is something that's not that surprising. Uh, to science, but 92% of the new mutations inherited by the child came from the father. Now, I think most lay people would just think it was 50-50, but 92%. Now, that doesn't mean 92% of all the genes. It just means 92% of you know the what's new being passed down. 
coming from the father. It says, but in the other family, a mother, father, and child of Yoruban descent, only 36% of the mutations came from the father, meaning that the mother had the higher mutation rate. So, And Rob, you said people of Yoruban descent are from where? I think I think it was West Africa. Yeah. Is that what I said? I think that's what you said, West Africa. So depends on where you're from, maybe, and your genetic makeup. But that's pretty uh, kind of surprising. It actually says in this article, it says that's very unusual and surprising. Uh, this is from an evolutionary biologist at the University of Sussex uh, in England there. Uh, but anyway, interesting stuff because you hear about bo- genetics and how bodybuilders have – Good genetics. And as a science guy, I always think, well, genetics for what? You know, genetics to, you know, diet well and not have your hormonal milieu fall apart? Or do you mean genetics? Usually they mean genetics for um, shape, you know, symmetry and balance in the physique, you know, so you don't have high calves or you don't, your arms aren't lacking or what have you. But of course, there's lots of genetic variances that make people better or worse bodybuilders. Like I said, your success in dieting, it could be, well, you, Rob, you and I have talked about this, your resistance to drugs, to drug toxicity. You know, some guys seem to be able to resist the side effects at high levels and other guys, you know, if the side effects get you before you're, uh, you're gigantic and ripped, then uh, I guess it's not going to be for you. <laughs> so. Well, I, I've, I've said in the last, for, for contemporary bodybuilding, it seems like the two, you know, um, genetic attributes that are most important today certainly are structural and your um, positive response to, to drugs. Right. Now, Josh, are you still with us? Yes, I am. Okay. I see a little red mark on the... On my Skype monitor, I wondered what that means. You know, they keep updating Skype, and I can't even read the console <laughs> thing anymore. But so now, uh, just so listeners know, uh, Josh uses a lot of anabolic steroids, right? Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. If that's true, I'm very unresponsive. <laughs> no, I yeah, I think Josh is going to do really well though. You have a lot of balance, and you're not a, you're. It's not like you're a 270 pound guy. But, you know, some people do have the genetics uh, passed down for, for shape, and I think you're one of them. So I think that's going to carry you a long way. Thanks. Right. So. But Okay, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, Rob, let's do your final news blurb, and then we'll just take a, a brief break, uh, and then we'll get back to the topic of the day, which is really Dr. Cotter's specialty uh, and what he's, what he's working on now. I know his dissertation involved the squat and things of that nature, so he's really a right. sort of a, a muscle scientist in a way. But he's been um, – kind of looking at countermeasures in space. Scientists, for people who don't know, look for ways to prevent some things that are very interesting to bodybuilders. Uh, And anyway, we'll get into that in just a minute. But Rob, what were you going to say about Arnold's uh, situation, his unraveling? (laughs) Well, no, uh, it it, it was nothing. It was just interesting. I saw somebody posted online some pictures of his sons. um, And and they're just so – it's just kind of talking – you know, to what you're saying about genetics, it's just interesting to see. One of his sons is actually a really good-looking kid. You know, looks like he's got a naturally athletic physique, and the other kid looks like he's, you know, like a sloth kind of thing. He's not built particularly. He looks like kind of you know, like a pudgy kind of. And I, I don't want to say too much because I'm not ripping on anybody. I'm just saying it's kind of interesting. That's all. You know, yeah. when you look at who their father is, and then you you know you look at these vastly, vastly different offspring of his. So, yeah. Of course, I don't know what. Well, you never know what you're going to get. Uh, you know, again, we're talking about mutations. If if 92 percent of mutations are, are handed down, but you know what? Then again, Arnold, uh, I, I wouldn't say necessarily he was incredibly gifted for shape. I mean, he had very high peak on his biceps. You know, right? Uh, he had an interesting character characterful physique, but I think what really stood out about him was his his charisma. It was more of his personality and his kind of you know cocky who cares kind of uh but you know what the more you know it, it's weird because of course when i first started i was of course as any young bodybuilder in the 80s you're infatuated with you know arnold schwarzenegger and then it was weird because over the then you know i came to a point where i didn't really appreciate him nearly as much because uh, all i saw was his flaws but then in the last couple of years i've come back around to actually admiring just how good he was he had he had a quality to his physique that Nobody has anymore. Like, nobody. Like, I mean, his muscle, he was one of those guys where 
Um, you know, he looked good when he was a stand there, but when he flexed, things really did happen, you know? Um, right, and yeah. that's not, that's an attribute that contemporary bodybuilders, certainly the last, you know, 20, 25 years, they don't have that anymore, you know? Well, he was reportedly one of the first guys to start experimenting with uh, growth hormone before there was even recombinant growth hormone. I think, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I believe that was for his, you know, comeback in 1980. I believe that's when he was supposedly, he delved into the lab. And, of course, he was kind of, you know, skinny and rakish at that competition, but, you know, compared to, you know, how he was in, like, 73, 74. But, um, right. but yeah, I mean, you if you look at, like, even the original Conan movie and stuff, which, by the way, they're remaking, so we'll... we'll and, and they're remaking Total Recall, by the way. Oh, I but, did not know that. that was, some... Yeah, I have a friend at the gym who was on the soundstage last week because they're filming most of it in Toronto, and uh, Kate Beckinsale and uh, Colin Farrell were hanging around with him and stuff. But... Anyway, so yeah, the remaking Total Recall and the Conan. But if you go, again, that's off the track. If you go back to the original Conan, he, I mean, he's a little down in size in that compared to what he was when he was competing around, you know, a, a few years before that. But again, look at the quality of his physique. I mean, when he's just kind of standing around in his arms, you can see his arms are kind of bulky, obviously, and stuff like that. But when he flexes them or any body part, do you know what I mean? It almost like the muscle jumps off the bone. Yeah, and I think that's one of the problems that the guys today are so massive that, you know, and there's something to be said for looking massive even in repose, but at the same time, yeah, you want to see something happen, a high biceps peak or right. lots of striations and fibers twitching on the, the pecs or the quads or something. Well, that, that, that that's that. fun to look at. Something It gives you something to watch. And I'll tell you what, too, guys like him from his era – uh, Arnold was really good at this flat stomach. I mean, real like you know, taut, flat. And the guys now, of course, with the GH bellies, that's just a thing of the past. So uh, well, I, I believe that's a combination of several things, right? It's not just the GH; it's a huge no. test, and it's just the fact that they're so heavy. You know what I mean? I mean, no, it's true. The off season, yeah. these guys are like you know, three. Some of them, some of them, a lot of them are over three hundred plus pounds, right? So, no, I mean, it, just that sheer size and some of the weights that they move. I mean, I know we rip on a lot of the bodybuilders and how they train these days, but there are still handfuls of guys out there who still train kind of old school and, you know, lift phenomenal weights. I mean, and as you and I, Lonnie, have discussed in the past, I mean, that that's just bound to, over time, just expand your your waistline, you know. Oh, it is, you know, and I actually noticed that in the videos from, from my competitions. When, when I'm not tightening down my abs, if I let them go – you could, you know, they kind of came out. I'm like, oh man, all those years of squatting, I think I stretched out my abs a little. Oh well, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just a fraction compared to what you're talking about with these huge guys, you know. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, but yeah, anyway. I mean, it, it went, again, I'm not really referring to the striations and stuff. I'm just talking about that. And again, I think you know what I'm talking about when you flex the muscle, actually push it like comes off the bone. You know what I mean? Versus yeah. just flexing, it almost everything kind of just kind of like comes out, you know, at you almost in 3D. Right. Um, I don't know, but it, so it looks like one of Arnold's back to the news blurb. One of his kids might might have some of that ability, and the other one probably not, huh? I guess, yeah. But. Yeah. I, well, okay. Well, I'll tell you what. We're just going to take a brief break for some messages, and then we, we'll come back with Dr. Josh Cotter. And uh, I've got a question for him that's uh, not science related. But as soon as we get through that, we'll talk about some of his science. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. Uh, there's currently one running on tnation.com about how to decide when to do more exercise versus diet when you're trying to lean out during those times of the year. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? 
In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, welcome back, everyone. Um, this is Iron Radio. We've got Rob Fortress Fortney. I am Dr. Lonnie Lowry. And on the phone with us here, on Skype with us, we have Dr. Josh Cotter. Josh is a scientist uh, and a bodybuilder. He's actually thinking about doing his first competition uh, next year. And Josh, I had a question for you. We were just talking about some of the guys that we liked. Um, and obviously, you've been bitten by the bug over the years. What were some of the guys, or who were some of the guys that you thought had impressive physiques when, or when you know, when you were just starting to get into things? Absolutely, I, I know the the two right off the top of my head. Uh, one was uh, for symmetry. The other one was a mass monster. Uh, uh, Nasser El Sambadi was uh, a <laughs> yeah. big guy. I remember meeting him at the Arnold, and man, I was just elated. I thought after shaking his hand, you know, I was gonna I was gonna get huge. Uh, <laughs> And then, uh, of course, I think just like you, uh, you know, I really admire Frank Zane's physique, something that I, I think is, you know, attainable for, um, you know, um, for myself. And, um, you know, I respect both. Like you said, there is something about being able to put on as much mass as you can, and there's also something really uh, favorable and admirable about uh, being able to be very symmetrical as well. Yeah, I'll tell you, uh, my my only personal interaction with Nasser, Rob, I don't know if I ever told you this. I may have, but we were out at Gold's Venice, my brother and I, and we had a friend out there. Okay. And we were kind of, you know, sleezing around. You know how they used to have the clothes racks out front when you first got in the front door? Yeah, of course, yeah. You know, and uh, by the by the front desk there. And we're just kind of looking around, and Nasser is there, and he looks angry, you know. And my he, one buddy. He always of, looks angry. Yeah, my, my buddy was like, oh, my God, it's Nasser El-Zabadi. And he said it really loud, and he looked up, and his eyes widened, and his nose flared, and I thought he was going to charge <laughs> like some kind of bull. And I'm like, oh, my God. And so, like, I buried my head in the clothes rack thinking, don't kill me, don't kill me, don't kill me. I remember he came up to Toronto once for a meet-and-greet thing, and he it was uh, Greg Kovacs and him, and we went out to dinner at, at this uh, restaurant, and... <laughs> I don't know who thought they they both on the, the side of the table that Greg Kovacs and Nasser were sitting. They they went to sit down in their chairs at the same time, and both chairs made this hideous sound like they're going to crash through. I mean, at the time, I think Kovacs was about three eighty five, four hundred pounds, and Jeez. Nasser was off season like three twenty, three thirty, and um, so they brought this bench, this big wooden bench that was out in the foyer part of the restaurant, in so they could both sit on that because it was this big heavy thing. But I trained with them That's actually. Amazing. Yeah, I trained with them that day and stuff. And you know, he's an interesting guy. But uh, I also remember backstage at the the Arnold Classic. I don't know if you were there that 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 year, Lonnie. I can't probably, but it, you might have been somewhere else. I don't know. But they had that Billy Blanks guy um, in one <laughs> of the about, right. Yeah, they had one of this. They had an inter, oh, they had yeah. an intermission where he was out there with a bunch of his. Um, you know, underlings doing some demo. Oh, I know what you're going to say. Yeah, this yeah, is and, and Nasser had just come off stage, and he was pose. You know, after posing and that, and he was all sweaty and you know, breathing hard. And 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 after you know, Tybo guy came back off. He started. I don't know. He started doing these flying, spinning jump kicks in the air in this backstage area that was not very big. And uh, I don't know why he was doing it, to be honest with you. But uh, I mean, everybody back there was feeling the breeze of this guy doing this. I mean, it was pretty cool and everything. But he did it to Nasser. And his foot literally came probably within half a foot of Nasser's face. Oh boy. And the look on Nasser. Charging, yeah, angry bull. Yeah, and he, he gave, shot him a look, and everybody was just like, there was a kind of a pregnant pause in the back there for a minute. Everybody thought that Nasser was going to have him some Tybo and just eat him for lunch, but uh, he let it go. Wow. But yeah. Yeah, yeah Nasser's, oh, he's he's all over the net these days, too, you know. He's, he's trashing on everybody, and. He's trashing on Greg Kovacs, talking about how you know Kovacs' wife used to have to wipe his ass for him, and yeah. Well, that's story for another day. That's not, yeah. That's that that just shows how massive some of these guys can get. Yeah. Well, he, <laughs> apparently his when 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 his wife wasn't around, I think he's divorced from her now. Wonder why. But um, apparently, when she wasn't around, he would take a hotel towel 
and he would hold it like between his legs, one in the front, one in the back with his hand. Oh and, my and like kind of seesaw it back. All that's just going to do is smear your junk around. That's not good at yeah, all. And then, then you just throw all the towels in the in the bathtubs or the, the you know the chamber for the maids. The yeah. And, you know. Happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, well, see, all right, well, you know, Josh is uh, sharing a little bit of his uh, bodybuilding cred. At least he survived a, an interaction <laughs> with one of these behemoths. <laughs> And is familiar with the Arnold Classic and stuff, but I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the the science here. Uh, before we did the break, I was talking. I just mentioned briefly, like uh, some of the countermeasures. In fact, when I I teach a class called Medical Aspects of Exercise, and I have some NASA slides, and we're, you know, I'm trying to share what what space flight does. If for for listeners, if you think about it this way, space flight is anti-exercise. You know, when you completely unload the body from gravity. And, uh, you know, all kinds of physiological problems start to happen. And that's one of the f- first things I want you to tell us about, Josh. So maybe just, you know, what's the angle with your research? Are you specifically looking at the effectiveness of countermeasures to keep people from wasting away? Or how do people waste away? And how can bodybuilders sort of use and abuse this knowledge? Anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is actually a, a new topic for me when I came here to uh, UCI and and to be quite frank, you know, when I was a, a master's student and just getting into this, there was a section on space physiology and, and all that. And I never really got very interested in it. And, and something that I've learned uh, since I've been immersed in this that I think, you know, we can share with everyone is, is to not be so uh, limited in our thinking about how something, whether it be research or someone's experience, can actually apply to us and, and in our case we're talking about resistance training or or bodybuilding or strength athletes there really is almost something in just about everything we look at that that we can take from it and really apply to ourselves and that's something that i've learned with with my research here so far now you know we're usually interested in in muscular hypertrophy making our muscles grow what we're really looking at in in our lab is how do we prevent muscles from wasting away as you stated we're here in a gravity environment, and we really take for granted the muscular tension that's required to keep us standing upright. Uh, when we're walking, we're running, we're playing sports, uh, our muscles are constantly working to keep us from falling flat into the ground because gravity is pulling us. When we send someone up into space, we take all of this away, and we notice some really interesting things. And, and you know... Uh, not counting muscle, there's a whole bunch of different physiological aspects. I'm going to just focus on muscle today, and that's specifically what we look at here. But we have these muscles that we call anti-gravity muscles, and these are the muscles that keep us upright. And these include the plantar flexors, the, the muscles of the calves, soleus, gastrocnemius, the muscles that uh, cause knee extension, the quadricep muscles, uh, hip extension, the glute muscles, and the spinal erectors. All are muscles that work pretty much all the time to keep us upright. These are the muscles that seem to waste away the quickest when we take gravity away. And that's something that we look at here is what, what is a way that we can prevent this from happening up in space? Right. Now, one of the things that I was learning recently, and I don't know if, if your research has touched on this at all, if, if yours is more cellular or not, but I saw... Um, a guy talk at a conference, uh, gosh, it's been two or three years ago now, but he was saying blood flow changes are a huge mechanism of why we lose bone or muscle mass in certain parts of the body because of the way the the blood starts to redistribute. Um, Are you familiar with any of that kind of stuff? Not a ton, but yeah, blood does change quite a bit. Uh, Again, it's due to that gravity where we no longer have to, the heart no longer has to, to work against gravity and, and getting our blood from our legs back into our heart. Um, when it is pooling up in the upper body, we see a lot of different uh, responses. How that affects bone, that's, that's a little bit uh, uh, beyond me. Um, but, you know, just like muscle, uh, when we take gravity away, we're also taking away a stimulus from our bone as well. And, and I would have to imagine that's probably the largest factor in bone losses that occur in space. Uh, but I wouldn't doubt there are some aspects of um, cardiovascular changes that affect that as well. Yeah, it may be something that's just happening simultaneously, but it's not yeah. causal. Mm-hmm. You know, I, because I remember I, if you think about, you know, how, for example, the, if you look at the density of the skulls of guys who are in space flight, their skulls become more dense 
maybe not as dense as Fortress, but they get pretty dense. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest of their body, especially what their the legs, they, they really – I'm ripping on you because I know you're probably playing off mic. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> But they lose, they lose bone density, like in their in their uh, their femur and their tibia, and, and you know all throughout their legs, apparently, or their hips, uh, the pelvis, and then they get denser skulls. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, you know, that's interesting stuff. You know what I mean? But like I said, it may not be causal; it may just be something that's happening simultaneously. I don't know. But. Exactly. So uh, yeah, yeah so, go ahead. Something that I, I noticed when when I was first getting into this and getting into the research, and you know, just like you, I try to apply this to myself and, and resistance training and all that, and the one muscle that we pay a lot of attention to is the soleus. The soleus is like the, the granddaddy of, of the muscles that have a huge response to uh, anti-gravity. And uh, it wastes away up to about 15 16% in, in a 16-month period. Wait, you're saying 15% of its original mass? Yeah, yeah. So 85% loss. No, no, no. It loses 15%. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, around. holy mackerel. Okay, right. Okay. <laughs> And, uh, you know, so, so I got into some research and people really look for ways to exercise these, uh, the soleus gastrocnemius to prevent it from wasting away. And, uh, I was thinking about these muscles in regards to what we hear in the normal bodybuilding community. And when we talk about muscles that are really hard to grow in size, I usually think about the calf muscles. You know, they're, they're very persistent in not growing no matter how we hit it with, uh, you know, weights in the gym. It's true. You know, we talked about genetic, you know, like polymorphisms. And I mean, some people just seem to have them and we've all seen them guys with gigantic calves, you know, like some of these guys, they don't even lift. Oh yeah. You know, and, and I don't just mean high insertions or low insertions, you know, cause sometimes you'll see guys, different race, racial backgrounds. They have high calves or, or lower calves, but I mean, just for the genetics for mass, Mm-hmm. Uh, seem, it, it just seems to be such a gigantic driver of that, you know. Oh, absolutely. Uh, there was a really cool study done by um, uh, the Trappies who are now at Ball State. I can't remember if they did it while they were at Ball State or not, but they found that the, the soleus is actually resistant to increases in muscle protein synthesis following resistance exercise, which I thought was pretty interesting. And they compared that muscle to the vastus mm. lateralis, a, a quad muscle. And, uh, you know, so there's definitely something different about those calf muscles that just don't respond quite as well to resistance training. And whether or not that's because they are constantly working all the time when we're walking and standing, I, I really don't know. But it is something interesting to think about, you know, how can we really stimulate this muscle to to do something? Right. Well, let me ask you this then. So what we've been sort of told over the years, of course, would be that like a, a seated calf raise is, I've always been told, focuses more on the soleus, whereas standing calf raises are more of a gastroc exercise. Uh, but it sounds, based on what you're saying, is even if you do tons of seated calf work, you're not necessarily going to get that underlying muscle flaring like you know a lot of bodybuilders might think. In, yeah, indeed. I, I, I do believe that... Uh... The bent knee will cause more stimulus to the soleus because because we know the gastroc crosses the knee as well as the ankle. But mm-hmm. you know, taking that away, if we do stimulate that soleus, you know, is from what we've looked at, it takes an awful lot of uh, stimulus. We had to up the amount of uh, training we were doing with with our subjects, and we had them training um, three times a week, um, doing uh, reps that were a bit higher, about 15 reps, because it is more of a type 1 muscle. It's not hugely type 1, but it's about mm-hmm. 60, 65% type 1. Yeah. And uh, we, we had about a, a 10%, uh, what was it? I think it was about 7, 8% increase in the soleus size after five weeks of training, which isn't bad. Um, now, granted, these were untrained people, so when we look at trained people, there's obviously uh, some differences there. But, you know, I, I think the... Looking at how this muscle operates based on, you know, what we've learned from some of these space physiology studies that the, the muscle is resistant. It utilizes a lot of activity in our day-to-day life. I, I think what I would take from this is that the lower leg muscles can probably take quite a beating, and it's going to take a large amount of volume to actually get them to grow. Um, okay, I was uh, going to ask you that. So, so you're talking about more sets or higher repetitions for soleus change? I mean, what would be your... Based on what you know there, with the more oxidative nature of the muscle and everything, yeah. how would you how would you go after your soleus, the soleus muscle? I, I think you hit it on the head there. Uh, you know, hitting it multiple times a week, more sets. Um, I would potentially look at higher reps. You see a lot of people doing the uh, the very ballistic 
bouncing kind of movements, and and mm-hmm. and we know that's going to have a lot of uh, tendon transfer as well. The tendon is uh, hugely strong in the lower leg. Um, I think the controlled movements, higher reps, more sets, increased volume during the week, I think, are all about the best we can do. And even still, then, you know, we come back to the genetics. Uh, it's really going to be kind of looking at that as well. But you know, we do our best with what we're the cards that we're dealt. Right. Right. So what about new findings in the field or anything that you've been discovering in your lab there? Um, yeah. Um, you know, what do you got there? Well, uh, you know, not getting into it um, too much. Something that I, I just find interesting is that, you know, we can't just have people lift weights up in space because the weights don't weigh anything in, an anti, yeah. in a microgravity <laughs> environment. So we have what's called a flywheel. It, it works kind of like a, a yo-yo. And, uh, you know, when you unwind a yo-yo at the very bottom, it, it winds back up. And uh, we use rotational inertia uh, based on this yo-yo principle to do things like uh, calf raises. We do squats, do hamstring curls. And um, in addition to that, for muscle growth and maintaining bone mass, we also have to have these uh, astronauts do aerobic-type exercise, so we have them do a rowing type exercise. We do high intensity interval training where we have them do four minutes at 90% of their max heart rate and then we bring them down four minutes to 50%. We have them do that for four sets. And we've had some really fantastic responses both aerobically and uh, with skeletal muscle hypertrophy doing this combined work. And what makes that interesting is we have previous research starting as early as the 1980s that show us that this combined combination of having aerobic exercise and resistance exercise somehow blunts our uh, anabolic response. And I yeah. think even today, you know, we have a lot of people in resistance training, um, strength training that, that are afraid to do aerobics. And I think there is something to that, but I think it comes down to the type of aerobic activity we're doing too that plays a f- an effect on, you know, these two kind of um, factors that are on different sides of the spectrum of the kind of responses that we're looking for. How can we get them to work together? Because I think, you know, to a certain extent, health-wise, we do need some of that aerobic activity as well, you know. It's true. I Actually, when I was competing, because, you know, I personally chose not to do a lot of interval training this time when I was dieting and everything, but uh, I noticed on stage, you know, having to flex every muscle simultaneously for extended periods and then come back out in a different class and do it again. Um, I'm like, oh, my God, my conditioning you know, my cardiovascular conditioning seems to be suffering, you know, because, I mean, I was doing the, like, non-panting cardio to get lean in it, and I, that really made me lean, but it, it did very little for my conditioning, you know, and it was, like, exhaustive, but... I don't know you if know, you agree, but, uh, you know, in my head, I think about three different ways to do aerobic activity. You have the, the low-intensity, you know, walking kind of activity. You have the high-intensity interval training that I just, just described, and then you have that steady state, really hard type exercise where you're working, um, you know, very hard, but you're doing it for an hour or so at a time. Think think like someone training for a marathon or a 10K. Mm-hmm. And I think it's that kind of training, that last type of training where you're training at a high VO2 for something like a 10K that I think for us that are looking at physique transformation and, and strength levels. I think that's the kind of stuff that we really need to maybe stay away from. That No, I agree. You know what? Amen, Josh. Listeners, tune in to this guy because this is what we're talking about. And this is what I've been kind of fussing about for years is when people hear like me say steady state, non-panting kind of uphill walking, I, I'm careful not to say cardio because what you just said is exactly what I've often thought, which is it's that 75% of VO2 max, you know, 75% of max heart rate, however you want to judge the intensity. That's what's so detrimental, I think. You know, if you want to look like a cross trainer, it's that kind of jog slash run, not sprint. Right. But that's what is – that's what people confuse. So every time you hear someone say, you know, non-panting longer duration or if you hear someone say not interval training but cardio – they automatically assume that 75%, like you said, like marathon training type stuff, um, and they they don't think about – listen, you can dodge that that range, and you could either do the non-panting fat-specific drain, or you can do at least some amount of hard interval stuff. Right. You know, 
and and like you said, avoid it. So I agree with that a hundred percent. Yeah. So all right. So you've already talked about some of the like you know what you look at to borrow uh, from uh, space research. Yep. If you will. Yep. So is there anything else that you've picked up on, or you sort of? Uh, Swipe from that for your own purposes. Uh, you know, uh, those were two of the main things I've gotten so far, and and there are some other things, but uh, uh, I know that uh, you know I was just at the American College of Sports Medicine talk too, and and there's a lot of good research that I kind of wanted to touch on today too, if you don't mind us kind of switching switching um, you know levels here to that. Right. No, not at all. In fact, I was thinking about you having having you back on later this summer, and we could talk about all of it okay. if you want. But I'll tell you what, yeah, do you, if you have something that's uh, on topic for sure, uh, by all means. I mean, you know, let's face it, we could have a lot to talk about. I'll probably invite you back on anyway. <laughs> but, yeah, but, yeah, if you could share with listeners, I mean, we shared some uh, news, both silly and scientific. But obviously what Josh is about to tell us here from the American College of Sports Medicine meeting is spanking new stuff that you're not going to see in journals or books or headlines for a long time, and that's why conference attendance is so important. And by the way, for, for listeners, Dr. Cotter, he's all over the place going to some of these meetings as a postdoc. So um, he, he's, he'll be a great resource for this kind of stuff. But, yeah, so what do you got from ACSM? Uh, you know, there was a, a decent amount, uh, actually, and one of the talks that I particularly liked was one on vitamin D. And I know for the last several years there's been a lot of tension on vitamin D. We know how it uh, can help us with a multitude of different variables from cancer to fatigue to insulin sensitivity to even things like performance and lean body mass. And, and you know, I, we all want to increase our strength and, and lean body mass and decrease fat mass and all that. But, you know, health, if we're not healthy, we can't train. And so, you know, vitamin D is a really cool uh, substance to talk about because it does help such a, a large amount of factors regarding our health and, and fitness. Right. And, you know, for people who are skeptical, and I think it's good to be skeptical, especially in our industry, mm-hmm. but vitamin D is so pluripotent. It's like fish oils because, uh, well, fish oils is because you're replacing a deficiency. And the same thing with vitamin D. I think there's a relative deficiency. I mean, if you live north of Atlanta, you're probably not getting enough, you know, uh, sunshine on your skin throughout the year. But yeah. vitamin D is also a hormone. So we talk about it as a vitamin, but it's also a hormone, and it's the kind of nuclear-like hormone that will get right down your cells and start interacting with your genetic material. So, I mean, it is powerful stuff, and that's one of the reasons you have to be careful, too. People are excited about um, taking two or 3,000 IUs, or they even sell 5,000 IU tablets. you got to be kind of careful there because you can end up with calcium deposits or something like that. So it's, it's a hormone. It's powerful stuff. Uh, but I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that's that's good. I'm glad you brought that up um, because I'll talk a little bit about the dosages that they were recommending there. Um, but before I get to that, I, I do want to say that I, I don't know if you saw, but uh, the Endocrine Society just changed some of their vitamin D recommendations here just just last week, I believe. And uh, for one, they say about 40 to 75 percent of the world is deficient, just as, as you pretty much stated there. Um, but they are recommending uh, blood levels between 30 and 60 nanograms per milliliter. And I know not a lot of people know what their levels are, but definitely a lot of these speakers were saying to have your levels checked out to see where you're at, to see how much supplementation that you do actually need. So uh, I don't know if you know how costly the test is, or um, I personally need to have it done myself. So I'm not quite practicing what I'm preaching here, but. Right. Well, I actually, listeners, here's a cautionary tale. I was hearing so much about it. it's. I really saw my first deluge of this stuff on vitamin D when I was in Thailand in '09, and everybody seemed to be talking about it. And I was at the same time Chris Shugart on T Nation and a couple of other sort of uh, you know fitness writers were commenting about it aggressively. And so I I went and I took uh, I was taking two or three thousand units of it a day. And I would suggest that people do that. First of all, get your blood level checked. And I wish I knew how much it costs, Josh. I just don't. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things I'd say, yes, go get checked um, because I was doing that. And again, I would say don't do this for more than 30 days or so and then go get checked again. So if you're going to do something like 3,000, 3,000 units a day, by the way, 400 international units a day is the RDA. 
or at least the old one right. before they change it. And they determine that that's not enough to raise your blood levels. Mm-hmm. So like if you get that from dairy products like milk, vitamin D is not very present in the diet, by the way. Even milk is fortified, right? People have read the label, vitamin A and D fortified milk. So they put that in there. But the point is that's not going to get you there. Um, exactly. So. Dr. Dr. Hollis was probably my favorite speaker there. He's from Medical University of South Carolina. And um, regarding a lot of things that you just talked about right there, according to his research, 400 IU to 1,000 IU really has minimal to no increase in, in your blood levels. Mm-hmm. Um, he says 5,000 to even 10,000 IU a day has much nicer increases after several months. His, his recommendation was to pick something. Um, he, he says that at least around, he takes 4,000 IU a day, so he was recommending that at least. Mm-hmm. Do that for three months. He said whatever uh, blood levels you get after three months, that's where your blood levels will remain as long as you're maintaining that dosage okay. uh, that you're taking. Well, let me tell you, here's the cautionary tale for me is uh, two things. One, the, the men in my family are sort of high androgen males. We're high on the scale. And this is something that especially if listeners, if you're using any kind of androgens, uh, either prescriptive gel or otherwise, and I'm not going to go there, but um, that will inhibit the enzyme that actually degrades vitamin D in the body. It's called 24-hydroxylase. And um, yikes, uh, I think what I ended up doing was overdosing on the D. I, I have a I, I broke my pinky repeatedly when I was a kid, and now I have a calcium deposit on it because sites of previous injury are where you'll see some of that remodeling take place. Um, so anyway, there's some things you got to be careful with there. I think some people could probably get away taking 4,000 a day for three months. Um, I could not, and I was like, oh, God, what am I doing here? But and Now, to be fair, I got a hold of some 5,000-unit uh, capsules, and I was taking those like three times a week. Yeah. Um, and, but I did that for more than a month. And that just, it, to me, it's like, listen, if you can't go get your blood checked, do have some respect for it because, you know, it's not just like an old fracture that's going to, uh, remodel and you end up with this weird little bump on your pinky or something. This could be soft tissue accumulation of, uh, calcium where you don't want it. Right. So anyway, it just something to keep in mind. But yeah, it is interesting to hear what you were saying too about, the, you know, he was getting away with 4,000 units a day for three months. So. And, and it's quite different, too. He, he was making a big deal about, um, you know, skin tone. I'm a very light skin. You know, I got Irish in my blood. Um, I'm going to respond to sunlight much differently than a, than a dark-skinned person. And, and a dark-skinned mm-hmm. person is going to have most likely a much better chance of being deficient in vitamin D, something that, uh, you know, they're going to respond to sunlight um, in a much different, in a more negative way than a light-skinned person, something, right. or, you know, if you are a dark-skinned individual, something that, I, you know, I would really recommend to check those D levels out and see where you're at and, and try to do something about that. You know, let me get your opinion about this. What do you think this has to say about the the uh, 30 or 40 or 50 SPF sunblocks out there? I mean, you know, because if you listen to, of course, a dermatologist or any of these lotion commercials on TV, especially this time of year, they're really pushing the real high SPF. Do you think that it might be wiser to get something a little bit toned down then? That, that's a really good point. You know, I, I think people people love extremes, and they just take everything to the extreme. And uh, Dr. Hollis was even talking about, you know, you go outside for 15 minutes in a bathing suit, your uh, body will make about 20,000 units of, of D3 within 24 hours for a light-skinned individual. Uh, wow. You know, that, that's pretty good. But, man, if you're slathering on a 100 SPF or whatever the heck they have now, then you're just not getting any of that. But, you know, then again, there's a fine line. We don't want skin dermatological issues, uh, but right. we also want that vitamin D. So in regards to that, I don't think it takes a ton of sunlight. But then again, I don't think you should be covering head to toe every single day and trying to avoid sunlight like the plague. It, it has right. good aspects, too. Right. One of the things – and I've had people ask about tan beds, too. By the way, I was – I was tanning uh, in preparation for a competition and, and things like that too. So my body was making plenty as well, you know. So I mean, by the way, uh, listeners, don't think that the sun—you will never OD, even if it's twenty thousand units. You're not going to OD on naturally created vitamin D from the sun. Exactly. Yeah. So, anyway, okay. So uh, anything else? Uh, yeah. Uh, in regards to vitamin D, no. Um, but there was a lot of good protein stuff too, and I know everyone loves protein. Um, 
Well, let's hear what you get on protein, and then I'll tell you, if you've got more than that, uh, so we don't run out of time, we'll save some of that for a future episode, but definitely let's talk about protein. All right, protein, uh, all the good names were there. I know you were elated to have your picture taken with um, Stu Phillips. <laughs> probably probably still up on your refrigerator, right? No, the, the students were, were digging that a lot. Stu's a good guy, yeah. Yep, absolutely. Um, uh, Luke Van Loon was there as well. Um, Tipton was there. So a lot of, you know, the, the typical protein names that we talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, some interesting stuff that was brought up. Uh, again, we hear about protein th- synthesis and protein breakdown. Pretty much the gist of everyone was... Uh, all the changes, all the uh, good changes that we see with protein supplementation all really uh, alter protein synthesis, something that I think we kind of mostly knew. Uh, a lot of uh, the previous research from Stu Phillips, uh, that one research study about where he gave 5 grams, 10 grams, 20 grams, and 40 grams of, I believe it was whey. Um, where oh, no, that was egg, right? I think that was egg. Oh, was it? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Um, showing, you know, that the... There wasn't much of a response when we doubled 20 grams to 40 grams. Um, so we, we still talk about that one a lot. And then Stu, I, I really like Stu's talk, and he had a lot of personal recommendations, and I just kind of wanted to run through those because I think he, he has a lot of good things to say. And, you know, wh- one thing I did respect uh, about him was that people would ask questions, and he would say, I don't know. And I think sometimes we do need to understand that we just really don't know the answer to a lot of questions yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I think we're too easy to jump the gun and try to, to make an answer out of nothing. So I respected that. But he was recommending about 1.5 grams per kilogram per day, emphasizing dairy and uh, whey protein. Uh, he mentioned a meta-analysis showing greater lean body mass increases with whey and dairy-type proteins. Was that the Krieger paper, do you remember? Because there was a meta-analysis done by a guy named Krieger and his colleagues a couple of years ago, and they were actually saying for body comp purposes, not just weight trainers, mm-hmm. but higher protein intakes, lower carbohydrate, you know, the the macronutrient profile really did matter, and it wasn't just calorie balance like we all so often hear, but... Yeah, I, I don't know if that was the Krieger one or not, but uh, probably along the same lines if it wasn't, absolutely. Um, he had a, a question from someone asking about, does uh, do we still get the good response from protein ingestion if we take a supplementation in between our big meals? So let's say you know we have three, four, or five big meals a day about taking a protein supplement in between to try to maximize our protein synthetic response. And oh, mm-hmm. he said... Um, he said typically uh, no, as long as they're all equally spaced out. But he said there's a fine line to it. Uh, you know, we get this uh, term we call talk about anabolic resistance to where when we have circulating levels of, let's say, leucine, for instance, we get that initial increase in, in the protein synthetic response. And then despite having normalized blood levels of leucine, uh, our, our anabolic response decreases. Um, over time. And so if we keep them generally spaced out, he seemed to allude to that's fine and we still will get a nice response. But there is something to that up and down response of having protein synthesis increase and then having it decrease and then increase again. There seems to be something to that, I think. Yeah, you hear a lot about that. Uh, About two years ago, I think I first started hearing people speculate about sort of this kind of pulsing instead of just constant eating of huge amounts of protein. Yeah. And I think that's interesting because if you I'm, – I know you were at the talk. We saw uh, the guys from um, Lane Norton's former lab, um, Don Lehman's lab, and, and they were sort of speculating can we or should we take leucine between meals to try to deal with that refractory you know, protein synthesis. Right. Uh, and they, again, I think they were speculating quite a bit uh, on that. But it's interesting that, that uh, Stu Phillips, Dr. Phillips is also looking at that stuff. Yeah. Um, the last thing that, that he had that I thought was pretty interesting was he was looking at females, uh, a group that is not often looked at as much as it should be in regards to this kind of uh, research. And he had three groups of females, a, a control group that had two drinks containing no dairy protein or calcium. They had 15% of their total protein from non-dairy sources. Uh, another group that also had 15% of protein um, in their uh, daily dietary intake with about 8% coming from dairy. And then he had a third group which um, had 30% of their protein with at least 50% of that protein coming from dairy sources. And they had two drinks a day containing um, 1% chocolate milk. 
and um, in they had a caloric deficit diet of about 200 and, uh, no, actually, I think it was 500 kilocalories a day, and he found out that the high-protein group, the one that had 30% of their daily caloric intake from protein, and half of that being from dairy protein, had increased gains in lean body mass and an increased loss of fat mass. So they had that, um, that balance that we all try to find where we can lose fat mass and gain lean body mass. Right. What a home run that is. I think yeah, mostly most people don't realize that you're not going to do that dramatically in most situations. That is such a home run situation that usually uh, bodybuilders, for example, or athletes who aren't using different kind of anabolic agents – that usually doesn't happen, right? Because usually you're trying to get in a positive energy balance to gain weight and a negative energy balance, you know, to lose weight. And here what you're talking about is actual muscle gains in the face of a caloric deficit. Yep, absolutely. Right? And, and that's awesome. That's what we all want. So Wow. Yep. Yeah, that is freaking amazing because we know that it takes about 2,800 calories to synthesize, to knit together all those actin and myosin proteins and get that that pound of muscle. Uh, so what this suggests is repartitioning, right? That the body was using the fat mass as an energy source to fuel the protein synthesis, which is energy costly. Yep, absolutely. Um, so uh, very cool stuff. And you said that's on a 30% protein intake, so a, a, almost a third of all your calories from protein and half of that as dairy. Exactly, yep. Uh, whey or casein dairy? You said it was uh, both? Um, they were supplementing with just 1% chocolate milk, actually. So that's – okay, milk is about 80% casein, yep. 20% whey, so mostly casein. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty, fascinating stuff. Yeah. Well, that's, that's some cool stuff to uh, – maybe we'll look for a sponsorship from the dairy industry. Hey, you know, I think that's show. something uh, you should really look at. I think they'd be very into it. Yeah, well, I, I know that they're uh, – I, I get these uh, – I was just looking at one the other day as we're putting this uh, the protein book together, which – Listeners, by the way, uh, Dr. Cotter is uh, another author in that book, this um, protein and resistance training book. I mentioned it once about six months ago on the podcast, but it's really coming down to completion now. And I can't wait to get that out there because there's so much data on, on you know these kinds of things. But I think as Josh is pointing out with these conferences and everything, it's one of the reasons I want to have him back on. There's so much new stuff coming out of some of these highly productive labs like Stu Phillips' lab up in the Toronto area or Tipton and those guys down in Texas or, you know, it's just too good to pass up. And the only way to get your teeth into it first is to be there. Yep. You know, so uh, absolutely. anyway. Cool. Well, okay. Well, I wanted to thank you, Josh, for joining us today, sharing some of that information on vitamin D, protein, uh, space flight, and how we can sort of, you know, Use that information to uh, become better bodybuilders, maybe prevent muscle loss, if you will, or what have you. Yep. So, yeah, cool thanks stuff. Thanks for being on, man. Thanks for being on. I got through like uh, a page and a half of my five pages of notes that I wanted to get through. <laughs> That's exactly what I wanted to hear. So I'll tell you what. If, if I can pull you out of the lab, because I know you're a bit of a lab rat, Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll get you back on uh, in a, a couple of weeks. Would that be all right? Yeah, absolutely. There was a lot of cool stuff on um, – uh, biomechanics there that that's uh, really cool. A lot of um, uh, core and strength stability stuff, and, and I think we can take a lot of that and apply it to how we're exercising in the gym. So yeah, absolutely. I'd love to be another guest. Oh, okay. Well, I'll tell you what. Yeah, um, in the past we've often used Mike Nelson, who you know, of course. Oh yeah. Um, uh, as sort of a guy who's a roving, you know, uh, conference attender, and I think that you know this is one of the best things that you can do with a podcast is. For people who either don't know about it or, or don't want to pay to go or whatever, there are nerds among us who will go <laughs> take these things who all, who also happen to squat. <laughs> right. Uh, in fact, Josh and Mike Nelson and I, we did do that when we were in Washington, D.C. We went next door and squatted. Uh, I don't recommend squatting on a almost a zero carbon take like I was doing, but yeah, you were um, looking bad. But uh, you uh, put up yeah, I was impressed. That, that was that was ugly. But anyway. Uh, yeah, we'll do that, and maybe I'll get you and Mike on, and we'll just yeah. – you know what? It would be fun for you to talk about some of that, and we'll, maybe we'll try to pull our resources and do an episode about, like, juiciest science of 2011 so far. Sure. You know, yep. something like that. So listeners can stay tuned for that. Yep. All right, guys. Well, good talk. Yep. Thank you. Iron Radio is accepting donations. 
If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. And we'd like to also announce that with our 100th episode, we're going to offer that caption contest on our Facebook uh, listeners page. So go to Facebook, type in Iron Radio, Look at the pictures of Phil and Rob. We're going to have a picture of each of these guys and caption the photo. It should be fun. So again, go to Facebook, Iron Radio listeners page, and tell us what Rob and Phil are doing, at least in your head. should be fun, and you'll win a prize if we choose you as the funniest caption. Thanks. For the best sports nutrition information on the planet, make plans to attend the 8th Annual ISSN Conference and Expo, June 23rd to 25th. 2011 at the Westin Las Vegas Hotel, Casino, and Spa. We'll have the latest on creatine, beta-alanine, protein, nutrient timing, and much, much more. So for more information, go to www.theissn.org. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.